0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. Listeners know that we explore many realms of the human journey, and some of our podcasts, including some of my favorites, delve into wisdom traditions, sometimes ancient writings or teachings that arise from a variety of backgrounds, sources that help us to focus on truths that really matter. And a lot of this boils down to connecting to something bigger than ourselves, to see that we're all part of some mysterious river of meaning, that the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts. When I can get calm and touch that inner place of quietude, it points me homeward. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation.
1: It was all-consuming from the very beginning, which was the beginning of my journey, to find out how you take care of a parent with the greatest kindness and dignity and intelligence.
0: The burdens and surprising gifts of caregiving when a relative or friend looks after someone who is sick. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. It's a reality of the life cycle that hits many of us. An aging parent grows frail and simply can no longer fend for him or herself. In some cases, the infirm person enters a nursing home. But if that route is unavailable or undesirable, the responsibility for care is often assumed by relatives or friends. It can range from living with the person needing daily care to commuting long distances as needed. Writer Beth Whitrigan mcleod of Antioch, California, helped to look after her elderly parents.
1: I was the designated primary caregiver, although I didn't even know that term until six months after both parents had died. And I had to make trips back every six to eight weeks. I had to take unpaid leaves of absence because sick time was not supported. So I would do as much as I could by phone, but every time I went back, I offered to move home but they just wouldn't let me. They did not want their illnesses to become my husband and my lives.
0: although, of course, they did. Anybody with a loved one who is elderly, disabled, or chronically ill may feel called upon to become a caregiver. As much as a quarter of the population participates in the care of a loved one, and many caregivers must provide physical assistance for tasks like dressing, bathing, and eating. Caregivers who've been studied often faced a heavy workload, an emotional and sometimes financial drain, and a hidden opportunity to learn something meaningful about life.
2: They coped in many ways. Some people had to burn out before they really realized uh, the truth of that uh, trite but true saying, you must take care of yourself to take care of others.
0: Author and public radio journalist Connie Goldman has thought deeply about this process and interviewed many caregivers, including famous ones like former First Lady Rosalind Carter and Dana Reeve, wife of Christopher Reeve, the paralyzed actor. Their words are presented in Connie Goldman's book, The Gifts of Caregiving, Stories of Hardship, Hope, and Healing. She spoke with me recently from Minnesota Public Radio.
2: Caregivers suffer guilt if they don't take care of everything themselves. Uh, Caregivers suffer isolation because uh, the world goes on without them, and they're not available to get out. Uh, Exhaustion, certainly, because people often uh, that need care are uh, up many times during a night and have many demands during the day. So there isn't any respite for a caregiver. Um, Rosalind Carter and many others, and many of the people I talked with, gave very specific, gave specifics in their stories of how they dealt with the realization that they couldn't do it all alone that they needed help, and that as difficult as it was for the person that needed care to accept the care, that's one issue, it was difficult for the caregiver to accept the help that they needed. It's a learning process. And, you know, that's what I found, that being a caregiver was a, could be a very deep and profound experience as far as the personal insights gained, as far as the depth of compassion explored. Um, Many people used uh, phrases that I was quite amazed at. They said, they've gotten the gifts of caregiving. Uh, They've discovered the rewards in the experience. Those are words you, didn't, you don't expect to hear from someone who's uh, changing soiled linen, uh, answering uh, the ringing of a bell every 10 minutes, dealing with someone who's uh, desperately ill or incoherent or uh, has really um, suffered a, a form of dementia that makes it not only difficult to deal with, but tragically sad to be dealing with the loss of that person that they knew. Uh, we're not talking about easy stuff, but you know, um, I guess that practically every experience we have in life can be a, a learning experience, something that we can grow on. And uh, it it continues to amaze me that family caregivers have tell me stories over and over again not only of the hardships uh, which they detail and uh, you know extensively and desperately need someone to listen to that but also when you ask them what did you personally get out of the experience what did you learn about yourself how did your life change afterwards uh Amazing stories, amazing stories of uh, change in direction in one's life, of understanding what their true values might be.
0: Again, Beth Whitrick and McCloud.
1: The greatest lesson I think any of us can learn is, is kindness, is true unconditional compassionate kindness and that is really the greatest lesson that every single act of kindness counts. To have to give beyond any, any conceivable level that we ever thought we were capable of or wanted to be capable of or were willing to be capable of. It is such a stretch of the heart. It's a constant lesson to find out who we are. That—that That is really the ultimate lesson, is that in the giving of ourselves, we find out who we are at heart, and that's what the transformative process is.
2: I remember one woman telling me about her um, learning experience from her mother-in-law who was dying of cancer and... Um, Was uh, they would go off for short walks together, and the mother-in-law would observe flowers and look at one flower and describe it in detail. And uh, this caregiver explained to me, my mother-in-law taught me how to see. Hmm. You know, we live a fast pace in this world, and caregivers don't and you look at the world in a different way. It was fascinating to me and a very uh, instructive experience for me talking to all these family caregivers.
0: The um, slowing down of life was a theme that uh, kept cropping up in many of the stories in your book, The Gifts of Caregiving, and also in the radio program. And uh, it's obvious that, uh, that patients... Um, is a, a skill that people on both sides of the transaction, both the caregiver and the recipient, uh, have to deepen in the process.
2: Not much question about that because uh, <laughs> there's there's no way to rush certain things. Uh, I recall right offhand I can think of four or five different experiences that were told to me about the learning of patients, of, of how one must slow down to the pace of, of what the person needing the care uh, has to have. You can't rush someone uh, who, you can't rush getting someone out of bed who is incapacitated. Uh, you have to go at their pace. It isn't how we're used to handling things. We're used to overscheduling ourselves. We're we're used to cramming everything in we can. I recall one woman told me the story of how it it took her a couple of hours in the morning to uh, to deal with the person she was caring for uh, to get him out of bed and get him dressed and get him sitting in his wheelchair and getting him his breakfast and getting his teeth brushed and his hair combed and it was the same thing every day and how they worked out how they worked out a little dance together uh, a rhythm of of uh, exchange so that there was uh, dignity and respect for uh, for both of them appreciation from the care recipient and uh, an understanding from the caregiver that uh, it it was necessary to to seek the rewards in the experience to appreciate the exchange. One woman told me about how, she was taking care of her mother, who was deteriorating, and and her movements were slow. and And they went shopping one day, and and uh, this woman said, um, "Here, mother, let me, I'll zip, I'll zip you up." and 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 the mother said, "No, I know that I'm slow. I know that things take me a while." I can still do this for myself and it's important for me to do it for myself. So you just be patient and wait for me. Will you do that?" And the caregiver said to me that a light bulb went on in her head and she realized that it wasn't her necessity uh, that mattered to get everything done and for them to get out of the parking ramp and get the shopping trip over and everything. What was important was for her to slow down and respect what the other person needed and why. Um, the slowing down thing is very hard to hold on to when you're not in the caregiving experience. That's, that, too, is what other people have told me. But they've also told me that they work hard to do it because it has made their life more meaningful, much more meaningful than they ever anticipated. We never know what we're going to be doing with these lessons we learn. It was quite incredible insights for me.
0: A thought that runs through the mind of anyone taking care of somebody who is sick is that in another phase of life, in another season perhaps after some unanticipated accident or some uninvited illness. I could be the one disabled and dependent on help. For the caregiver, it's an encounter with one's own human frailty. But it's very difficult for us to truly empathize with the recipient of care. It prompted Herbert Rogers, an engineer working in the Los Angeles area, to write a statement about the years he's looked after his wife, Jill, who has Parkinson's disease and other medical conditions.
3: Here's the way it goes. Um, Imagine yourself sick. Can't? Imagine yourself disabled. Can't? Most of us cannot because we are not. Those who are certainly can. They know what it's like. They know what it's like to wake up in the morning, but they can't get out of bed. They know what it's like to see their clothing hanging in the closet, but they can't put them on. They know what it's like to feel a call of nature, but they can't take themselves to the bathroom. They know what it's like to fall when they try to walk, but they can't protect themselves from being hurt. They know what it's like to drool down their face, but they can't wipe it off without help. They know what it's like to wait and wait and wait. Wait until your caretaker gets you out of bed. Wait until your caretaker dresses you. Wait until your caretaker has time to take you to the bathroom. And then wait till they come back to get you. Continually waiting for someone else because you simply can't do it yourself. Your life is not your own. So ask yourself, dare I get sick? Dare I get disabled? Who will take care of me? How will I pay for care? Who can I trust? Will my friends abandon me? Will I be a burden to my friends and family? Will my family stay by me and help me? How will I deal with the guilt of being a burden to everyone? What will happen to my children, my dreams, my plans, my savings? Will everything I've worked for have to be sold to care for me? Will I be put in some kind of institution if someone will not care for me? Will I have to watch while everything I've worked for dissolves away? Will I have any dignity left when I have another person dress me, feed me, shower me, wipe me? Ask yourself these questions. Dare I get sick? Dare I get disabled? I live with Parkinson's disease, progressively disabling my wife for 19 years, and yet I do not really know how I would handle it if it were me. I can only approximate my answer to these tough questions. Ask my wife, she's a real hero of our family.
2: Can I tell you a part of a story of a man who was taking care of his father? Um, He was uh, a college professor. His his father lived in the same town, and he would go over to the father's house as the father became frail, ill, and uh, he would take care of everything because he was efficient, and he'd make dinner, and he'd do the laundry, and he'd give him the medication he needed, and he'd see that the house was cleaned up, and he'd make breakfast and lunch for the next day and and then he'd say, Okay, Dad, I guess everything's fine, and now I'm gonna go home and and, and every day would be the same routine. One day um uh, his dad said to him, um, uh, Hey, why don't you leave that stuff for later or do it tomorrow, it's okay. I'll get along why don't you sit down and talk to me for a while, and and he'd always say, no, I I just don't have time for that, Dads, and I'm sorry, and, you know, he'd go back and do his stuff in the house and all that, and then he told me that one day he was driving home, and then all of a sudden it hit him. It, it hit him that his dad was asking him to share with him, and and get to know him better and to let him express his thoughts and and to make some room for an exchange and a deepening of the relationship before it wasn't possible. And he became aware that this was an opportunity that he would never have again. And he hired people to come and do what he was doing before. And he started spending a lot of time with his dad, just hearing the dad's stories, telling him his. They exchanged uh, experiences that uh, had been meaningful to each of them. They talked about old times together. It, It was a growth experience and a rich experience that he told me, he said, and I almost missed it. Um, Many people miss it.
0: Connie Goldman's inquiry into caregiving arose from her own experience of looking after a family member and from her journalistic work over many years of authoring books and presenting public radio programs on the subject of aging. She's tracked down active seniors who are almost too busy to talk, written the inspiring tales of late bloomers, and explored what she calls the ageless spirit.
2: I'm not a gerontologist or a sociologist or a medical person or... I mean, I'm a, I'm a journalist, and so I've always gone out and gotten whatever story it was. And I, I really, I observed over 20 years ago that uh, we discounted older people pretty severely in this culture. And all the older people that I was, were meeting were teaching me something about growing old well so I thought I'd concentrate on this subject. And I think that in spite of the fact that I haven't had the formal training in the area of aging, because of the hundreds of people that I've interviewed, I've had uh, informal uh, exposures that have really shaped um, how I've aged uh, and and for the better. And certainly one of the big things that I've discovered and and incorporated into my life is that when the outer world shrinks some, the inner world can grow.
0: In aging does the outer world shrink some?
2: Well, yeah, for many people it shrinks a lot. Uh, it, it shrinks a lot because uh, uh, retirement enforced retirement uh, leaving their their place of work uh, the kids leave home uh, sometimes a person is confined because of of the limitations of illness uh, the need for medications or treatments or or whatever because of, of physical disabilities uh, I don't uh, I don't necessarily mean that a person becomes isolated and that the outer world disappears, but the interaction with the outer world changes. And retirement, whatever that is, I mean the the changes that come with the later years uh, as far as uh, one's involvement in the same things that they were involved with earlier, does leave some spaces that many people are frightened of because they think... I'm not out there being productive and active. I'm not worth anything. But the people that have a bit of wisdom will say, "What an opportunity! This gives me a chance to explore another part of myself and to find out if there's a deeper, a more a spiritual connection." Uh, understand more about who I am and how I connect with the outer world, with the rest of the world, with the rest of the humans in this world, Um, you have to kind of slow down a bit to have these thoughts. Otherwise, you're having them fleetingly while you're driving the car to your next appointment or just before you fall asleep exhausted, that's, that's why I explored older people and others doing gardening because that's a form of, they considered it a, a form of meditation and exploring what grows on the inside of them when they're growing stuff on the outside. <laughs> In a sense, being a caregiver forces you to slow down I mean, sometimes at age 30 because you're taking care of mom who's frail and elderly. I recall talking with one woman who was uh, very busy. She was the head of a whole agency that uh, she had created, an international agency, and this was a very, very busy woman. And her sister, who lived in another city, was caring for her mother, their mother. And then the mother's Alzheimer became Alzheimer's uh, disease became unmanageable for the sister. Uh, the mother was uh, walking out of the house and running down the street and I mean it was it was dangerous for her and it was exhausting for the sister. and so this busy woman who never said no, I can always take on anything, said, "That's okay. well, I'll take on." mom. And so she did and realized very quickly that she needed to put mom in a nursing home. But she kept going there practically every day to visit and spending time. And she would say to me, you know, uh, I know I've got a lot of things to get done and I'm really hard pressed for time. And yet sometimes I feel I have to go see my mom. So sometimes I go and visit and I've got this edge, you know, and I'm anxious and and nervous and I'm thinking about a million other things. And then she says, you know, I sit a couple of hours with her and and I walk out and I say to myself, what was I obsessing about? This was really a nice thing to do for both of us. And she says, and I, I walk away smiling. I have a smile on my face.
0: Connie Goldman calls caregiving for a loved one a gift in disguise. Even though in her own case caring for an ailing mother, she juggled fear, frustration, irritation, indecision, and guilt that perhaps she wasn't doing enough.
2: Many people have said to me, well, how do I prepare for it? I don't know. I can't answer that. Because, you know, the need comes unexpected, uninvited. There you are in a situation and maybe your brother or your sister, for one reason or another, uh, cannot take on or do not have the responsibility or do not choose to. Um, Maybe the nursing homes or the uh, facilities available are not acceptable to you or your family. Uh, Every situation is so different. And then for whatever reason, you take on the responsibility. Maybe you take it on by taking a leave of absence from your job and become the hands-on caregiver. And maybe you do as this woman I have just talked about did, uh, put her mother in a nursing home five minutes from where she worked and so that she could be on call at all times and make a visit daily. But whatever the personal situation is, there you are. You're in it. And in spite of the fact that what many say, that there's hardships and painful decisions and depression and anxiety and uncertainty and exhaustion, and, I, you know, I could go on and on, I'm not negating that. It comes with that territory. So you have to be careful and take good enough care of yourself so that it doesn't win the battle because you can learn a lot and you can give a lot. It's really about loving
0: service. Connie Goldman, public radio journalist and author of The Gifts of Caregiving, Stories of Hardship, Hope, and Healing. listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Francis McGovern. Special thanks to Minnesota Public Radio and WGBH Boston and to the public radio program Hardship into Hope. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Short Media.
1: To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, that's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N, or visit our website, where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org, that's humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. And our web address is humanmedia.org.
0: This segment, Caregiving, is Humankind Program number 59. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind.